Heights, and we meet uh, at 4 p.m. on Sunday evenings in downtown Phoenix, and it's been a little while since I actually gave you an update on what's going on downtown, and so I thought I'd do that for just a minute because uh, there's a lot of significant things that happened even this week. So for two years now, even longer than, than when I've been down there, uh, we have been praying for something very specific. We've been praying that we would be able to move to Sunday morning for our worship services. Uh, just you ask any church planter, there's a ceiling that you hit in terms of growth and energy when you're at the laziest time of the week, right? Four o'clock on Sunday afternoons, it's like everybody just wants to take a nap and not come to church. And so I don't blame them. I don't want to come to church either. I just want to take it. No, I'm kidding. Um, but We've wanted to go to Sunday morning, and it got, it's, it's not been possible. We've been looking for places. Uh, I've spent so many hours doing this cold calling places, walking into businesses, praying over areas. I mean, doing all this stuff. And uh, it just has not been answered until this week, um, officially. So for the last few weeks, we have been talking to a place, and uh, we signed a lease this week for Sunday morning space at 1640 East McDowell Street, uh, which if you're familiar with the central Phoenix area, you just go straight up to 51, get off at McDowell, and you're almost right there. Uh, so it's not that far, and we are going to be worshiping at Hope Women's Center. Uh, it's, a, it's a ministry there that we already partner with. We already are there all the time giving them donations and helping them with drives and that kind of stuff. And they have a beautiful space that's just been renovated for us. And so we're moving into Sunday morning, uh, starting... The lease is signed for August 1st, and so what we're going to be doing, so yeah, let's thank the Lord for that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for praying. So I, I have prayer words throughout in this room. Thank you so much for praying for this, um, and the, how, what we're going from here is it's pretty crazy. On July 16th, it will be our last time to worship at Central United Methodist Church, and uh, actually, in God's providence, that will be one year to the day. When my first, when I moved down there, um, so it took one year of transition, and the Lord has moved us into another season now. And so, uh, we are on on July 16th. We're stopping worship, and for three weeks, we're not having worship. All we're doing, we're cramming somehow everyone into our house for three weeks, uh, and we are going to talk about what it means to be a church again, and we're going to talk about you know ways that we can greet people well, how we can invite our neighbors into this this work. And on, uh, for starting August 13th, we'll have some preview services for four weeks where we kind of work out all the kinks and make sure the sound system isn't going to explode on us and everything. And then on September 10th, the weekend after Labor Day, we're publicly launching our church and we're inviting the neighborhoods and we'll have maybe food trucks. I don't know. We're going to have a crazy party. So um, God has done answered our prayers, and I just wanted to let you know about that. Please keep praying for us. Uh, pray for that, that the gospel will go forward. We're driven by the Great Commission, Matthew 28. All authority has been given to Jesus, and he's told us to go and disciple and baptize, make and mature disciples, and we need your prayer support for that. Uh, it will mean that I'm probably going to be here, unfortunately, a little less. Scott and I are still going to work really hard to switch out from time to time, but since we'll be worshiping at the same time, then you, know, you can't be two places at once. So that will go down. Aww. I shouldn't have to manufacture this, people. That should have been like an automatic, like, just, it should have just happened, but, oh well. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, um, thanks for having me this morning. We're going to turn to God's Word now. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18. 
first four verses and the first seven verses of 1 Samuel 19. We're going to continue in our series in the life of David. If you haven't noticed, uh, the way that we've been kind of structuring this and will continue to structure it is David plus another character. Uh, the, the life of David through the lens of these, uh, these other characters. And the first week was David and God, uh, the man after God's own heart. And then it was David and Goliath, David and Saul last week for jealousy. And today it's David and Jonathan. We're going to be looking at the idea of spiritual friendship, this friendship that is really um, beautiful. It says in, in verse 1 of chapter 18 that, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And what something began there that was a spiritual and deep friendship that is almost foreign to our culture. This kind of friendship that we're going to explore today. But the Bible actually talks a lot about friendship. Um, there's the story of Ruth and Naomi. Uh, there's the Proverbs, which are filled with ideas about friendship. But the fullest, probably, expression of what a spiritual friendship is probably what we have before us today. And David and Jonathan. So let's read it together, starting in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Verse 1 of chapter 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul. And he was in his presence as before. This is the word of the Lord. I'm a busy guy. I, I know how we, we like to like one-up each other in our busyness. You know, like, oh, I'm, real, I'm a lot busier than you. But truly, I'm, I'm busier than you. Um, <laughs> I, most of you know, I have three boys. Their ages are five, three, and two. And they are all boy, all the time. They ne there's no off switch, okay? They're, they're all the time. They, they are, they're causing trouble. We're a busy family. We're planting a church in downtown Phoenix. That takes a little bit of my time, okay? Uh, we're moving said church to Sunday morning. That's going to take even more of my time. You have no idea how many details there are involved in, in doing this. I have a, a list, an app with, the, with my to-do list, and it is insanity. I don't know how it's going to happen. Okay, um, we're leaving for vacation in 10 days, and I have a to-do list just for before vacation, right? And that is insanely long. We live in a house that was built 
in the 1940s, which is like the dawn of civilization in Arizona. Um, Nothing else happened before that. And so our house is constantly causing me to have to do things for it, of course. So with all this going on right now, we decided this week, this is the perfect time for us to get a dog. (laughs) We did. She's not a puppy. I'm not that insane, okay? She's, she's an old lady, like we adopted her. Uh, she's an she's a AKC, purebred, Vigela dog. She's beautiful. Uh, and we had this moment when I was going to get her, uh, just through a series of circumstances, I found out about this dog, and we had compassion on her, and these owners who had had her for 10 years, she's, she's an older dog, uh, they had her, and they couldn't take care of her anymore, and so we decided to take over, and I went to go meet her this week, and uh, we had a David and Jonathan moment. Me and Jules, that's her name, Jules. Our souls were knit together, like it says about David and Jonathan. And now, she's my best friend. Like, she's a much better friend than anybody has been to me in this room. Like, it's, like whatever, she, whatever I want to do, she wants to do. She is stuck to me now. She wants whatever I want. It's amazing, this friendship that I have. But here's my point. The point is, is that it came at a time when it didn't make sense for us. This is an unexpected friendship. It's one that, if you looked at it, my life, as I just gave you a little snapshot, this should not have happened. But there it is. It did happen, and it's good. And there's something similar with David and Jonathan. This is a friendship that should not have happened. Think about it. How many barriers they have to friendship They are rivals. They're supposed to be rivals. David has literally been anointed the next king of Israel. And Jonathan, even though he doesn't know that at this point, is his rival. He's the one who's expected to be the king of Israel. So there's there's a rivalry there, or there could have been. There's a different, there's a socioeconomic barrier. David comes from an insignificant family in Israel. Saul's family is the most significant, and so Jonathan ranks way above him. And there's also this little fact that Saul, Jonathan's father, wants to kill David. That tends to end friendships when you know, a father wants to kill the other person's friend. But despite all of that, what God does in, in this moment is he raises up a friendship that is necessary for the flourishing of both David and Jonathan. Despite the barriers, God creates something beautiful and necessary for them to flourish. And what I want to make the case for you today is is that spiritual friendship that we're going to be talking about is a necessary thing for you, and that God is able to raise up for you friends who can be there and intercede for you in special ways, the way similar to what David and Jonathan have here. But You have to overcome some of those barriers. There's tons of barriers to friendship in our culture. Just like David and Jonathan, we have barriers as well. Let me list five of them real quick for you. Uh, Five barriers that we have to friendship as I see it. Number one, you're not in college anymore. All right, if you are in college, that statement does not obviously apply to you. Uh, but most of us in this room are not in college, we're not, or whatever that was for you, that time when you were in a band, or, or whatever, when there's this kind of natural melding, there's all these young, beautiful people around you, and you just like want to hang out with them all the time, and that doesn't exist when you're trying to do the adult thing. A lot of things have gotten easier since college, but one of the things that's gotten harder is friendship. 
It's hard. It's, there's, it's work. Number two, you work too much. Okay, not everybody again, but most people. You, you're too busy. If you're one of these people that's like, oh yeah, I think I've got a spot for friendship. It's like coming up in August, I think. Uh, let me just check my schedule here. Uh, yeah, I've got a 45-minute slot. Will that work? Like, oh no, wait, that's only if yoga is canceled, right? Like, we, you, if your life is all scheduled out, and there's no space for friendship, that becomes a barrier to your friendship. Social media is a barrier to friendship. And it's a, it's a completely cynical, it's a maniacal one because it, it makes you feel like you are connected on Facebook or wherever. I have my closest 1,267 friends on Facebook, as the count of as of yesterday. And it lures us into thinking that we're really connected, but it's been shown over and over and over again that social media does not add to actual friendship. Um, it actually detracts from it. Sherry Turkle is a sociologist. She says this, We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Social media offers us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. It gives a false perception. It's a barrier to us actually having the kind of spiritual friendship that we see in this passage. Number four, your standards are too low or they're too high for friendship. So some of you have standards that are too low. Uh, you, you've never met a fence post you didn't want to be friends with. All right? And so you make friends easily. It's the easy come, easy go. But the second that someone wants to go deeper into your life and create this kind of spiritual intimacy and friendship, you're like, I'm out of here. I'm going to just go float over to some other kind of relationship. Some of you have the opposite problem. It's, it's that your standards are so high. And, and for you, it's like you treat finding friends in the church like it's a dating service. You know, I, I want them to be like spiritually mature, uh, preferably 10 years plus of being a Christian, um, not too tall, um, you know, must love dogs and, and long walks on the beach. And like you have all these this list of requirements. You're like, until I find this one person or this this one composite, I won't have any friends. It's a barrier. Lastly, there's a barrier in our culture because everything is so romanticized and sexualized that this category of friendship gets lost almost altogether. And so it's no surprise that many, when looking at this passage, have read into it that that perhaps is a romantic relationship between David and Jonathan. That the only way you would see that is if you're using your 21st century eyes and the assumptions that we have about our, our, about friendship and about the way that relationships work back into this. It's like we've lost the ability to see that there can be intimacy beyond sexuality. There's barriers to friendship all over the place. What I want you to see today is that God is able to overcome those barriers in your life. And He's able to bring you into something that is necessary for your flourishing with other people. Here's what I want us to see. Spiritual friendship is a necessity that is worth praying for and pursuing. Spiritual friendship is a necessity. It's something that I think is not just mildly important. It's a necessity for you that is worth praying for and pursuing. I want us to see three things today from this about friendship, how it's discovered, how it's cultivated, and how it's protected. So first, 
Friendship is discovered. Friendship is discovered. The best friends are those that are discovered, not made, not manufactured. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 18 says this, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. You see there, there's a passive verb there, was knit. Jonathan didn't look out in the crowd and say, hmm, I wonder who my best friend is going to be. How about I choose a rival and somebody that wants, my father wants to kill? That sounds like a good friend. No, something happened, something spiritual happened, that God knit these two men together in a friendship. They discovered it, not manufactured it. And spiritual friendship has, it has two elements of discovery. You discover two things when you discover a friend. You discover, first of all, a shared interest, and second of all, a shared faith. Shared interest and shared faith are both important to spiritual friendship. They had a shared interest. They're both warriors. They're, they're both rising up in the ranks of Israel at the same time. There's a power uh, situation with the, they're sharing in. They both are trying to deal with Saul, who's going crazy right now. And they're united over that. They have a shared interest, but most of all, they have a shared faith. Verse 3 says, Jonathan made a covenant with David. He entered into a spiritual agreement with him. And we don't have time to read the whole story of David and Jonathan, but it's a story of, of, of a spiritual friendship. They have a faith. They, they talk about the Lord. They, talk, they rejoice in what God has done. They both have growing faith, and so they have a shared interest and a shared faith. This is what C.S. Lewis, uh, who is the great apologist for friendship in the last couple hundred years, he has talked a lot about friendship. He talks about both of these aspects, about the shared interest and the shared faith. Not only did he write about it, but he lived it out. But first, he, he wrote about it. Um, he says there's two aspects of friendship. I think this is in The Four Loves. He says, first of all, this. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Isn't that beautiful? Friendship is born when you say to another person, what? You too. I thought I was the only one. You see, there's a shared interest. There's something that you discover that someone else is into, that you're into or going through, that you're going through. You discover that. But then he says this also about friendship. Friendship is, is, is born the moment where you say, do you see the same truth? Or at least, do you care about the same truth? See how in C.S. Lewis's writings, there is always a shared interest and a shared faith. But he didn't just write about this. He actually lived it out. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but he created a band of brothers in Great Britain um, called the Inklings. And this was like his, his literary club, but it was beyond a literary club. It was this group of friends that he made, and it began with C.S. Lewis hanging out with J.R.R. Tolkien. Did you guys know they were friends, right? Two of the greatest, probably the greatest, uh, fantasy writers and otherwise spiritual giants were friends in Great Britain during the same time. And they started to meet together. They, they met on Monday mornings, early on Monday mornings, for, quote, beer and conversation. All right, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, I guess. Um, and they... They had this, this shared interest and this shared faith, and so they, they became friends, and they decided they wanted to expand the circle and invite people in, and so they created the Inklings, this beautifully, wonderfully punny name, for people who have 
those two things, a shared interest and a shared faith. And he said the two requirements are this. To be a part of the Inklings, you have to have Christianity, shared faith, and a tendency to write, the shared interest. And what they would do is they would meet, they moved it to Thursday evenings, probably because it's ridiculous to drink at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday. But like they moved to Thursday evenings, and you can just imagine this group of friends, these, these overweight British men like barreling into uh, this pub called the Eagle and the Child, what they called the Burden Baby. And, and they walked in, you know, in their tweed jackets, uh, covered in rain because it's always raining in Great Britain. And, and they sat down, and they, they lit up their pipes, and they started to read what they were working on, their manuscripts. This is what they would do. C.S. Lewis read out loud the screw tape letters as he was writing it to this group of men. J.R.R. Tolkien, can you imagine, read Lord of the Rings chapter by chapter as it was being written in front of these men. He was like, you got anything for us, J.R.? You know, it's like, yeah, I just wrote, I don't know, I'm working on something. It's, it's, I'm calling it uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. And it's like, oh, let's hear it. Like, this happened in the context of friendships. They discovered it, that they had this shared interest and shared faith. It's not something that's manufactured. Eileen Guter, who's a writer, says this, Friendship is a gift from God. We can cultivate it and see it grow and bloom, or we can let it die of neglect, but we can't, quote, make friendship. There must be an element of spontaneity or mutual recognition for a relationship to be called a friendship. It's a gift from God. It's something that God does. He knits people together in friendship. Do we recognize it? And we're going to talk about that in a second. How we can pursue it, even though it's something that's discovered, not made. But secondly, I want us to see this. Friendship is, after it's discovered, it has to be cultivated. It has to be cultivated. How is friendship cultivated? David and Jonathan don't just see each other and say, oh, we should be BFFs forever, and then nothing else happens, right? Oh, we have this shared interest and shared faith, great. They actually pursue it. They cultivate their friendship. How do they do that? They do it through humility, through vulnerability and compassion. Through humility, we see it in verse 4 of, of chapter 18. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. We talked about this last week. This amazing act of humility from Jonathan where he's, he's giving David these emblems of his royalty. And what he's saying with that is, you're the hero. We talked about last week. You are the hero of this story. You're going to be the next king. I recognize you as the anointed and that deepens their friendship. It had to have. When Jonathan does this extremely humble thing, he's willing, for the sake of the friendship, to give up his pride and his position to demonstrate humility. And I think it's the reason why so many of our relationships, we stay at a surface level, is because we're not willing to engage in humility. We're not willing to say, I need something from someone else. I think I struggle with this in particular. I, I've, I put up this vibe, I think many of us do, that uh, I'm good. I've, I've got everything I need. I, I'm basically, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a good spot. And we don't demonstrate the need that we have. But that actually is what cultivates friendship. Related to that is the second thing. It's vulnerability. David is extremely vulnerable before uh, Jonathan. We didn't have time to read it, but in the next chapter, there's a whole story of how Jonathan protects David again. And um, David comes to him 
in chapter 20, and he says, basically, he's, he's freaking out, and he says to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? What's my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And then Jonathan like, tries to calm him down, and he says, far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. Basically, chill out, David, chill out. You know, and then David's like, respectfully, I think you're wrong. I think he's going to kill me. Um, your father knows well that I've found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, don't let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. Truly, as the Lord lives and as my soul lives, there's a step between me and death. All right, David's being a drama queen, okay? It's like, I'm going to die, you don't understand. And Jonathan's like, no, you're not. And he's like, yes, I am. I'm going to die. He's being extremely vulnerable before Jonathan, laying it out. This is what I'm struggling with. I'm, I'm afraid. And he, he's laid bare before him. Again, many of us not willing to do this in our friendship to be laid bare before other people. It's cultivated through humility and vulnerability, but also through compassion. Back in chapter 18, verse 3, it says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Second time in this passage that phrase has been used. He loved him as his own soul. That's compassion. As he loved himself, as he took care of himself, he loved David. He was willing to tie his comfort and his life to David's comfort in his life. That's what compassion is. It means having passion with someone. Come, passion. It's that you're sharing it. You're saying, I'm willing to let your problems be my problems. I'm taking it on, but this is, again, something that we don't do. We, we like to hide from other people's problems. When someone seems like they are going to be a burden to us, we start inching away, or we, we kind of find subtle ways to avoid interaction with them. But this is how friendship is cultivated. It's cultivated through humility, vulnerability, and compassion. It's not just cultivated by time spent together. That's a myth. Time is really important in friendships, but it is not the thing that actually ends up cultivating it. David and Jonathan have very short time together. Jonathan's life is going to end soon, and yet God raises up this moment for them that was necessary for both of them, but it's not always tied to time. I'll give you an example. When I was in college, um, I, my group of friends and I decided uh, that for a summer, we were not going home for the summer, we were just going to stay you know, in our dorms or whatever, and take summer classes, take a class, you know, it was like not hard at all, and um, we decided, let's do something epic, like let's hang out every single day, every day, uh, and we said, you know, and how normally we like call each other and like say, do you want to hang out on this day? We're going to do the opposite of that, like we have to call each other if we're not going to hang out with each other, Right? So every day we're going to spend time together. We did this for summer. We actually did it. We woke up, same time we met for breakfast. And, um, you know, after that we kind of lazily went over to our one class. It was a film class. I mean, you know, we were watching movies. And then, like, we moved out of that and we kind of hung out in the afternoon, ate lunch together. It's like every single day we hung out and it was amazing. It was really fun. And I don't know any of those people now. None of them. Am I connected to? Because the illusion is, is that it's t this time or having fun or whatever is that creates friendship. It's not. 
Friendship is, is deepened over a lifetime through these things, through vulnerability, compassion, and humility. Not just through time spent. Friendship is discovered through God's providence and knitting people together. It's cultivated through those things, but it's, it's protected as well. Jonathan protects this friendship. In the start of chapter 19, Saul has this staff meeting top secret. He speaks with Jonathan, his son, and all the servants, and the, the staff meeting has one agenda item. I want you to kill David. Like, everybody, that's what you do now. Go kill David. And Jonathan goes out from that meeting and decides the opposite of that. He decides, I'm going to protect David, and it's interesting to me. I don't know why this has stuck with me so much this week, but in the first verse of that chapter 19, it says that da- the contrast is, I'm not going to go kill David. Jonathan, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. The reason that he wants to protect his friendship is that he delights in who David is. And I was thinking about that with our our marriages, because as I said before, sometimes friendship is highly sexualized in our culture, but the reality is, is that we're supposed to be best friends with the spouse that God has given us. And I wonder... If we, if we realize that that friendship that is so important if you are married is protected through delight. It's protected through delighting in that other person. Jonathan did not want to do this, to go kill David or be any part of it because he delighted much in who he is. And 